The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. I want to say welcome to all of you who are with us here in Worship East. Welcome to all of you who are joining us in the sanctuary and those of you worshiping with us online. Welcome. We are so glad to have each and every one of you with us today. If at some point in time you hear a scream during the service, my daughter decided that this would be her first big church time. And she did so on Mother's Day. And there may be a a departure or arrival as things go. And so just ignore the screaming in the background. That's perfectly normal. If you've been with us the last few weeks, my name is Ryan Musser. I'm a church member here. I was a minister for a number of years and just very happy to be able to bring uh, the word this morning. We've been going through a series called After Easter. After Easter is just looking at the stories that happen after the resurrection and seeing what difference did Jesus raising from the dead really make in these people's lives. It's very easy in our world to have Easter and then move on with the other things going on. It was a little less simple to do that when Jesus has just gotten up the way he said he would. And so we've been looking at those stories. Today we're in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, goes like this. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and hearing him reading from the prophet Isaiah, he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, both of them. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now this is an action-packed story. It's pretty quick. Don't blink, because you might miss it. There have been a lot of things going on since we last spoke. And here we have a guy named Philip. Philip isn't one of the twelve. Philip is an apostle. Philip is a deacon. Do we have any deacons in the room? If you have a a deacon, will you raise your hand? Okay, a couple deacons in here. Philip's a deacon, so you can appreciate this. 
This is one of the guys from Acts 6, 5. There were seven deacons appointed. Stephen, Philip, five others appointed as deacons right there. And his job was to divide up the food and the goods. Because if you remember in Acts chapter 2, the Christians had started selling all of their goods and putting everything together so they could take care of one another. And so they got people who would administratively divide up these goods and make sure the orphans and the widows and others were taken care of. But Philip's a deacon turned evangelist, it seems, because it says he's been preaching. In Greek, it's the same word that Jesus uses of himself when he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This isn't his job. He has a job with the local church. He has something he's supposed to do. They didn't give him a license to do this, nothing hanging on his wall. He's ordained to serve meals and divide up supplies, not preach. He's ordained to take care of the sick and the needy. But this isn't what he thought he was signing up for. Philip has been in Samaria recently. Philip was in Samaria, and while he was there, he started talking to people about Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, people started listening, and people started coming to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends on the Samaritans. Philip gets told by that same spirit and by an angel to go to a desert road down in the wilderness. Now, if you've ever been to West Texas, they have some long roads that intersect in the middle of nowhere. And I just found myself wondering, because it doesn't tell me, how long did he sit there before that chariot started rolling up? I'm guessing there was some time in there. And he sees rolling up in this chariot a eunuch. This is a man who's been forcibly rendered unable to have children. He's been emasculated because someone wanted somebody to serve in the palace. He serves the Candace. That's a title in Ethiopia of their ruler. See, they have a boy or man king who is considered too holy to actually do the administrative work. So, happy Mother's Day. Mom rules the roost. Candace, the Candace, is the queen. She is the ruler, and this is her treasurer. He's been drafted into service of the kingdom of Ethiopia and rendered fruitless, without offspring, without hope. It has cut him off, no children, no name, no remembrance, no lineage. He traveled all this way to Jerusalem, all this way to come and worship. It says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. But notice, it doesn't say that he had come from worshiping in Jerusalem. He wouldn't have been allowed in. He's not allowed to be a part of the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 23.1, those men who are emasculated are not allowed to be a part of God's people. In the old covenant, he was to be cut off from the vine of Israel. If the old covenant, if the old contract, if that agreement is the agreement whereby people can be given forgiveness, hope, salvation, then the eunuch has none. He has just come from the temple. The temple had a beautiful gate, and the gate had on top of it a vine in gold bearing fruit. That's as far as he would have gotten vine of fruitlessness, salt and open wound, a pretty hopeless situation. And then he sees in the middle of nowhere, a guy jogging up to his chariot, Philip jogging up. Both of these men are being cut off from Israel. 
See, one of the things that's happened in the last few chapters since we last spoke is that all of a sudden the Christians have started being persecuted there in Jerusalem. When I say Christians, please understand, they didn't call themselves Christians. That wasn't something they were doing. They didn't see themselves as starting a new religion. What happened was they were continuing to worship in the temple. They saw themselves as Jews. They saw themselves as followers of Jesus. That's what they called themselves. And one of the deacons, Stephen, starts getting questions and starts talking about Jesus to people. And they start arguing with him. And they get frustrated because he's not backing down. And so eventually they do the same thing they did to Jesus. They trump up some charges, drag him out, and kill him. They stone him. And all of a sudden, it's not safe to be in Jerusalem. Not so much if you're a, a person who was born into Judaism and are following Jesus. You would be ostracized. There would be problems there. But if you were a person who wasn't born into it, if you were one of these Hellenistic people who had been baptized into Judaism and then decided to follow Jesus as the Messiah, it was dangerous. They started going into homes and arresting you, beating you. The persecuted church that happens all over the world, that was going on right here. And so the church scatters and Philip scatters the apostles who are largely Jewish men sitting right there, they're not as concerned about this. They stay, but the rest of them run out and they go to other places. And Philip finds himself going to Samaria. Now, people would not have wanted to go to Samaria if they had been a part of Judaism, but let's be very clear about the situation. Marriages are being broke up over following Jesus. People are being kicked out of their homes. Things are getting really rough. And so Philip finds himself in the place that no Jewish person would really want to go. He's in Samaria. There's a long history of reasons why the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along. But what you need to know is the Samaritans, well, they're not allowed in the temple either. They understand a little bit about what it means to be cut off from Israel. To want to worship the same God and to not be allowed in. And this is where Philip finds himself when he starts having the courage to open his mouth. And maybe, maybe the Samaritan woman's story had gotten out among them. Or some of those other things that happened across the sea that Jesus did. Because there are people there who are waiting with bated breath about the story of Jesus and who accept him. I imagine Philip is thinking it's pretty odd that the church has been cut off from worship at the temple, cut off from Israel itself. We read John 15 earlier, didn't we? It says that that the father is the gardener, that Jesus is divine, and that the father comes and he cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit, and he prunes those who do. The disciples were told this on the night that Jesus was going to be arrested. This is one of the last things. And Jesus probably says this while walking across the Temple Mount and seeing that vine in gold right there, the gate, the one that stopped the unit. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. They have been working to do what Jesus says. They've been trying to bear fruit and they know that he's going to prune them. That he's going to change some things. They've got some preconceptions about who's allowed in. They've got some prejudices. They've got some ideas about what it's going to mean. It's going to look just like it did. It's going to be the way it always was. Ah, the good old days. And Jesus 
Jesus is leading them into places. And it turns out that he actually gave them an itinerary of where that vine was going to go in Acts 1.8. I'm going to send power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He didn't say they'd want to go to Samaria. He didn't tell them exactly how they might end up there. They've been following Jesus and doing what he says. And this is a roadmap where the spirit of God intends to take them. It's also a roadmap of where persecution is going to lead them. And sometimes right paths take dark turns. And being a part of Christ's vine might mean that you don't get to be a part of Israel's anymore. The eunuch was on a lonely road through a harsh desert after having been to a temple he could never really enter. For a faith he could never really join. About a hope he could never really have. And God puts the right person at the right place at the right time right there for him. And the eunuch is talking to a man who now understands a little bit of what it means to be cut off. And Philip crawls up into the chariot. And he sees the man is reading Isaiah 52 and 53. And the eunuch has questions. Perhaps the eunuch can identify with the person in Isaiah 52 and 53. Here's a little bit of what it says. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. You think the eunuch might be able to relate to that? Isaiah 53, 8, cut off from the land of the living. The eunuch had been cut off from having a legacy that everybody wanted, having children to carry on his name, from obeying the command, be fruitful and multiply. If he had started reading the law, he certainly was going to start somewhere in Genesis. That's kind of the beginning of the whole thing. He can't obey that command. He's been cut off from a name, a remembrance, a hope. He's utterly cut off to be forgotten. Philip is led by the Spirit and an angel right there to this man. And he starts quoting from the Bible that he has, the Hebrew Bible, right here in this verse to share about Jesus. And he starts with this passage where the man is. But I'm going to bet he doesn't stop there. What difference does it make if the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and 53 has come if the eunuch can't be a part of the hope he's providing? What does it matter if he's not allowed in? What does it matter if he's not a part of the plan? And so a few chapters later, I'm willing to bet they got to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 says this, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Not cut off. Even the eunuch can bear fruit in that kingdom. When that day comes, when that hope happens, he can be a part of that vine. He can be a part of that presence. That congregation will have him. The eunuch must have felt cut off from the vine of real life. He must have felt like a dry, dead branch cut off from the vine. But God promised a name better than sons and daughters. A day is coming will be part of the covenant, the promise, a monument, and a a remembrance. Hope for all, even the eunuch. He says, I will give in my house. I will give in my house, within my walls. Is that the temple? 
I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Maybe this is what has brought the eunuch to the temple. Maybe that's the loophole he thought he found. Maybe they will let me in when I get there, but that didn't happen. He was hoping to be a part of Israel, I bet, to be joined to that vine, to be baptized in. That's how a Gentile would come into Israel. They would be baptized in. But Philip is led by the Spirit, by an angel, right to this man, and he quotes from the Bible. He has the Hebrew Bible right there, and he begins to tell him about Jesus. And hope abounds from good news that the suffering servant, the Lamb, has come. The suffering servant, cut off from life, has become the true vine. And so the question must arise. If that passage has been fulfilled, if the if the suffering servant passage, if 52 and 53 has happened, then what about the one that has to do with me? What about 56? What now stands in my way from being baptized? Why can't I come in? What's in the way now? Baptism was how the Gentiles would have come into the face of Israel. It's how he could have joined Israel, but it had no place for a dry branch. The true vine doesn't measure fruitlessness and fruitfulness in that way. In the desert, in a hopeless, fruitless place, desert flowers bloom. All they need was some water. And in the waters of baptism, the hopeless dry branch is buried with him in baptism and a vibrant and living branch arises full of Christ's new life. The eunuch becomes a branch bearing fruit for Christ right there in the desert in a harsh place. And when eunuch arises, Philip is gone because the story wasn't about him. This story is about a suffering man dying on a dry cross, saving a dry branch from a hopeless fate. And after Easter, all can come in. There are no laws left prohibiting you. Nothing prevents anyone from coming in. You are all welcome. Even the eunuch can come in. There are no laws, no scriptures, no passages of the left that say if you have done this thing or that thing, if you were born this way or that way, if you weren't into the right family or weren't at the right time that you can't come in now, all are welcome. After Easter, everything changes. The eunuch heads back to the Candace, back to the queen mother, back to his job, back to Ethiopia, which believers of that day might very well see as the ends of the earth, and he does so in what might as well be a Learjet engine. He's in a chariot, the fastest form of transportation they've got, and he's on his way, and the gospel is going with him back to North Africa. He has a new meaning, purpose, family remembrance. Later on in history, for those of you who had to take that world history class, you'll find that Rome eventually falls. Constantinople gets sacked. And Christianity, which got tied up in all the nation states, suddenly becomes threatened. Is it even going to make it? We find that there is this church in North Africa. It seems that somehow, despite all reason, someone went back to North Africa and took the gospel seed and that vine bloomed in the wilderness and it thrived there. And when the church is struggling everywhere else, it finds fertile ground there and continues on to this day or you and I might never have heard about it. Today in this place, in this story, there are only two people. One of them is a person who believes 
that life has passed them by and they are in a hopeless situation. We read about a lonely man, but it could have been a woman. Mother's Day is a tough day for a lot of people. There are a lot of women who can't have children. Isaiah 54 talks about them. It talks about those who will never be able to give birth. And it says, I have sons and daughters for you. I have a place. Open up your tent, make it larger. This servant makes a way for you to have family. Because see, and this is very important. If you ever hear someone say that the core group of Christianity is the family, they are wrong. They might mean very well. It is absolutely untrue. Please do not forget, these people were being cast out of their families. They were being completely rejected. They were losing their marriages to follow after Jesus. There are those who could not have families in the same way that everyone else can, and they are invited into. No, 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 no. The core group for Christianity is the church. There are people in Sugarland, Texas today who were Muslim followers who we met down there who accepted Christ and were being kicked out of their families. That stuff happens across the world today for different reasons. It happens in families where they don't believe in God. It happens in families when they believe in a different God. It still happens today. And the core group is not the family. It is the church. And you are welcome in. And you can have sons and daughters here. And you can have meaningful, fruitful hope in the future here. And there is nothing to prevent you from being a part of that. You are not alone. And your story is not hopeless. And then there's another man in the story who the story is not about, a guy named Philip, who isn't really even called to do this thing. But God whispers in his ear and says, go, and he goes. By the way, God didn't whisper in his ear and tell him to go to Samaria. He was just there, and as he went, he made disciples, just the way it says in Matthew 28. But when God says go, he shows up. And he's willing to talk and he's willing to listen and he's willing to have compassion. And there are things in his life that he's now recognizing that Jesus has been doing that relate to this guy's life. And past his prejudices and past his preconceptions, he's willing to be pruned by God so that he can be somebody there in the wilderness. I got to ask you a question, those of you who have accepted Jesus. Are you sure you're not around anyone who's hopeless? We seem surprised when there are people on the news who are willing to do awful things to other people that get themselves and others killed. We seem shocked there are people hopeless right in our communities. Let's stop being shocked about it. There are people hopeless right in our communities. Today in this place, if you have accepted Jesus Christ and your Savior, I ask you to do this thing. Ask him where they are in your life. Where are the places where you're walking that have become deserts for other people who are hopeless and starving for any kind of grace and mercy to come in? Ask him who their names are and then have the boldness to reach out to them and just tell them how loved they are. This week, it's one of two people for you. You're one of the two in the story. If you need hope, come on down. I'm going to be here at the front. There'll be Ron here in the front. We will pray for you. We will be with you. We will invite you in because there's nothing that separates you. And if you're not, if you have that, if you've already experienced that healing and that wholeness, if that grace and that mercy, if you're tied into the vine, then maybe it's time to be pruned from our comfortable lives. And maybe you come down or you sit where you are and you find the name of the person that maybe you didn't want to talk to or you didn't want to have to do anything with. They're in your band class and you just don't want to deal with them. They're the person on your team that you don't want to have anything to do with. And maybe they're the person who's mean and gruff because they're hopeless and they just feel like no one cares. And maybe you're the person who's supposed to 
say something about that. Today, wherever you are in this story, I pray that you respond. Jesus Christ, we ask today in this place that you would move in and through us. We pray, God, a prayer of gratitude that we cannot be separated from you, that there is nothing we are born into and nothing that has occurred in our life that can prevent us from being a part of this vine, that we are tied in and vibrant, and we thank you for that. God, we recognize that there are people in our world who don't know that, and we want to fix it. We believe that you have empowered us and called us to be your grace and mercy and love to those around us. And today in this place, we ask you passionately, God, to speak to our hearts and tell us who they are. We'll go out into dry, desolate places just to have them be joined in. God, please speak to us today. Use us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. 